Welcome to the Love Sport Podcast. This is Paul, your host, joined by my co-hosts, Pete and John. A little bit of a heavy heart again as we talk about Shane Warne and Rod Marsh. We'll talk about the EPL and all things sport as NRL also kicks off this weekend. You can get us on Facebook, get us on Twitter. Oh, we can get us in a whole heap of spots. Listen to us on Apple. Uh, you can listen to us on Spotify. You can listen to us on any platform that you want to. This is the Love Sport Podcast. Uh, so I am a reserve grade coach uh, for our women's NPL one side there, and I'm also the assistant coach. Mate, that's sensational and uh, good little segue. John, welcome to the pod. Hey, good afternoon, uh, Paul, and good afternoon, Pete. Oh, nice to hear you both. Good to hear your voice, mate. On International Women's Day, Pete's been telling us a little bit about his coaching with MacArthur and... Uh, I thought he might expand on that and tell us about a few of the other coaches there, mate, on International Women's Day. Yeah, sure thing. So uh, I'll, what I'll do is I'll give you a bit of an insight into how this MacArthur Rams side is actually shaping together for uh, the upcoming season. So um, we've obviously uh, brought together a number of um present the region. So we've got, you know, your... Uh, MacArthur Rams legends in Lena Kamas, Sham Kamas, uh, Kylie Ledbrook. Uh, you got Carlo Charalambus, uh, Melka Serres, Laura Murtag. Um, th- these are players who either have been in W League environments, have played, uh, been in uh, A League women's training sessions, have been um, key members of. Uh, brought in the likes of Chloe Carmichael, who's previously been with the likes of. Um, Western Sydney Wanderers, so that one's incredibly exciting. And we've just got a few surprise packages coming up soon. So uh, only yesterday we, did we announce at MacArthur Rams the signing of Alex Hyun, who's <laughs> come across having played most recently for Western Sydney Wanderers. It's just dropped out there a second, Pete. Um, I'm still here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can, mate. We'll just wait for Pete to come back in. But John... Um, you also been doing a lot of um, pre-season and season work in the women's field as well? Yeah, man. Um, I sent you some stuff yesterday. I was lucky enough to uh, be involved in a high, what they call it, high performance uh, day with our open boys and girls, rugby union sevens players. And, you know, one of the standout people there that was helping us was the great Shannon Parry, who's been the captain of Australian women's rugby as a 15 aside for the Wallaroos, and also she was the captain of the Sevens team that won the gold medal in Rio. And um, she was there to, you know, give our guys a bit of inspiration, but she's also the high-performance identification um, person for um, Queensland women's rugby. That's and it was, great. it was great to have her there. And, you know, amongst some other legendary people that were there taking our guys through was um, the incredible Duncan Free. So... Um, legendary Australian um, rower and gold medalist. And, um, yeah, and a, a, um, yeah, so it was an awesome time to <laughs> assist my guys to do their best over very difficult circumstances. But uh, it was great fun. That's amazing. And uh, I know with my, my, uh, my youngest uh, daughter at the moment playing basketball, it just women's sport and the attention it's getting, it's so good. And I know I'm harping on about International Women's Day, but um, breaking that, you know, those gender barriers and I think it's called Break the Bias, the theme this year. Um, it's up to men and women to do. So it's just awesome to see. And I get so much satisfaction out of seeing the girls uh, reach their potential. So It's so yeah. good when you've got the girls and the boys there listening to someone like Shannon. And we've got a teacher at our school, Lucy Lockhart, who was the Reds, I think I believe was the Super Rugby 15s Women's Player of the Year. Yep. And she's a teacher at our school, and she coaches our girls, and she's a fabulous uh, player and a and a and a wonderful um, example to all of our students that the top level is available to if you work hard and you know put in all the right things. So yeah, and we've also well, got Lauren Ahrens, who's been a standout player for the Gold Coast Suns, who's a teacher at our school. So all these. Women are everywhere and uh, they're doing a great job. And I think their inspiration is not just to the girls, but also to the boys in our program. Exactly. Um, Pete, are you still there? Yeah, I am. No. I was uh, 
I got on a little bit of a tangent there and uh, unfortunately zoomed, uh, zoned myself out there. But uh, back on and uh, look, I was also going to mention there at the tail end about um, the exciting news of the launch of the cerebral palsy women's um, Australian national team, the Paramatildas. Yes, uh, so again, e- even better representation and more consistent representation now uh, to you know show more opportunities for so um, awesome things coming up. Um, we obviously have, uh, you know, the upcoming Socceroos game where $1 for every ticket gets sold, gets put straight in towards the Pararoos. Well, for the upcoming Matildas game, $2 from every ticket goes straight towards the Paramatildas. So uh, very, very exciting to be able to see these funding models come through. And it's, look, it's really interesting you say that, Pete, because um, Jay Larkins, who's done a lot with the Par- Paralympic football movement up in Brisbane, has had the fight for so many years for anything to happen. Uh, so I'm really happy for people like himself, uh, for, for yourself and, and for Jay and, and people like that have worked so hard in those fields. So well done, guys. Um, and on this International Women's Day, to all our mums and daughters, colleagues and everyone, um, I hope that, you know, uh, yeah, I hope you reach the goals that we all want to see. Um, guys, on a Saturday note, and Dad and I touched on it on an interim podcast the other day, um, Shane Warne, the passing of uh, she, uh, sorry, Shane Keith Warne, um, was obviously rocked a lot of the sporting world, and um, a lot of the, it, 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 it sums up a lot of social media to me that people automatically went for the negative, and then those people were overridden by you know overwhelming support from the cricket, the wider sporting world, and celebrities and people like ourselves. Um, I think it's a celebration of a once in a kind of lifetime uh, cricketer. Yeah, exactly. I don't think that uh, there'd be too many, uh, you know, kids or realistically anyone our age who did not at some point in their backyard try and throw some spin balls like Warney. Um, and, and pretty much if you didn't, I'd be disappointed and question what kind of a childhood you had because everyone wanted to try and bat like Bradman and everyone wanted to try and you know, I think that there was um, obviously um, on Sunday morning that he had passed away. But at the same time, uh, I think that it's moments like this where we need to be celebrating lives rather than, you know, just passing on so much sadness. I think that, yes, we have to take moments to grieve, but this is an opportunity to really celebrate who they were, what they achieved, and the impact that they've left on this uh, on this huge sport. Well, John, I wanted to ask you this, mate. Um, you're not a big fan of the 2020 game. You're, you're a big fan of the traditional sport, but he's made he made you know he was he played for the Rajasthan Royals, and I think they won in the first season of the Indian Premier League. And if it wasn't for someone like himself, um, who knows? You know how many spin bowlers would be playing in the shorter format of the game. Shane Warne, to me, um, the thing that sticks out to me is that he he was a guy who was generous with his time. Yep. Um, and I met a lot of people through Cricket Connections who met Shane Warne at different times. I never did, but people who spent time with him, presence, whether that was playing or, or um, you know, club officials and whatnot. And uh, I never actually heard anything bad said about the guy. I, I can tell you that there's plenty of other people that I've heard, you know, the, the, the grapevine travels pretty quick. And I think Warney was, it was pretty easy to go, oh, my God, look at the faults there. It reminds me of the old passage from JC. is like, uh, you know, thanks for pointing out the splinter in my eye while you ignored the plank in your own. <laughs> he, he, he was such an incredible cricketer. Uh, he was a great guy. Um, he changed the game. People who changed the game, in any sport, they're the real icons. I'm not making it up. Wisdom made him one of the five greatest cricketers of all time to me, and I only judge players that I've seen. Yep. Um, I have him and Viv Richards and then was a macro and probably a little bit of a distant third to those two as my favourite and probably cricketers I think were the best. And my overwhelming thoughts this week of great sadness when I heard the news um, was that Australian, the death of great Australians, and I think I can name three, that actually shook the whole country up. And yep. 
you know, the first one is Steve Irwin. Uh, I reckon everybody was pretty on board and sad to farewell Bob Hawke and his legacy and the great things he'd done. And I think Shane Warne's like that. Now, obviously, the, you know, that list isn't diverse. and it's, not, it's just three Aussie blokes who were very, very much Australian, very similar characters. Yep. Um, and I don't think there's enough people like that anymore around our country because there's too many people who listen to everybody else. And those guys went to the our own drum, and they weren't just huge in Australia; they were huge everywhere. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I don't think there's much more we can add to it, what everyone else has said. And um, just going to be a huge loss. And I, I always say this: when when the whole world is coming out and saying great things about him, you know, I think Michael Vaughan was a classic example of someone they hated each other on the field. And loved each other off it. And to see the tears when people are getting interviewed, there was no holding back the tears, you know. And Yeah, I think, you know, doesn't it feel to you guys, I feel like I lost a friend this week. I, I, I also felt that a little bit with uh, Rod Marsh, to be honest, as well. And um, They were just two ordinary people who made you feel like, yeah, everyone says the time they gave. Yeah, I felt like I lost a friend this week as well. It was a great quote by Verenda Saywag, and I think it was Saywag, and if I'm wrong, I'm sure some will correct me, and I do apologise, but it was one of those type of guys, and Saywag was a great player in his own right. And um, he said that every time you're out on the field with Shane Warne, you felt like you were just playing a bit part in his production. <laughs> that summed it up beautifully. And I, I love those shots of him now. that it's, it's posthumously of him standing there saluting the crowd. He was a great yes. showman. Yeah, great showman, Mate, absolutely. Please. Vale Shane Warne, Vale Rodney Marsh, and um, to their, as we've said previously, to their friends and family and his kids in particular, um, I hope you feel all the love that the world's giving you right now and obviously you need it because he was a dad and he was a partner and he was a friend um, more so than a cricketer. And I think if you asked him, his greatest achievement would be, I think, you know, his kids and being best friends with his uh, son, I think they'd be his greatest achievements if he could actually tell us. But that's the sign of a man in my mind. Guys, on another note, and I'm going to launch into it, the NRL starts this week, Thursday night. Panthers, Sea Eagles. It's come around kind of, it just feels like it's just all of a sudden happened in my mind. Yeah, Louis, I guess uh, the season really does, uh, you know, it launches upon us in a way. And I've seen a great deal of, you know, I guess, marketing from the clubs. I've seen plenty of um, footage of the teams at training sessions on social media, but I haven't seen a great deal of um, ads on bus shelters or anywhere around to be able to say, hey, season kicks off, uh, get involved to and get down to some games. But look, that always comes in time. Um, and instead, I guess, from those little highlights videos or social media posts, some things start to come together. So your general storylines, which I think uh, are popping up so far, are going to be Tigers look like they're going to struggle. It yep. looks like South Sydney are going to be an interesting group with the uh, the new coach that's come on board. So they're, they're going to be a, a very interesting lineup. It looks like uh, Cronulla Sharks as a top four, maybe a top six contender. Uh, it looks like the Knights are going to potentially struggle without the likes of um, Mitchell Pearce or Connor Watson. And it seems that Canterbury Bulldogs um, could be in some strife again. Um, it doesn't look like they've got, you know, their act together in a way and it doesn't really look like it. Any- this could be a season where we see finals football from the likes of the Bulldogs. And a lot of people, uh, a lot of people thought this was going to be. They went on a massive recruitment spree last year. It's one of the things I'm not particularly fond of with the NRL is that so much recruiting happens while the season's happening, and so a player it will play for the you know be playing for the Roosters for example, but you know he's going to be at the Bulldogs next year. That's just me. I don't particularly like that. It's um, ridiculous. Fans hate it. We all know that. We, we can't stand it. Look, I. I, I I'll have to ask you guys uh, who you think are going to win this season. I think the Panthers, with 
slightly different teams, slightly different. I think Panthers would have to be the red-hot favourites to go back-to-back. I think the Roosters might bounce back this year. Um, I love their coach. I think, and Nick Politis said it pretty well, reckons he's the best coach they've had there since Jack Gibson, and I can't argue with that. I think he's a great, great coach. He always has his team ready to play. You know, they're a bit like, you know, a bad year for them is finishing fourth, you know. Yeah, um, well, it so, feels like the Storm, Storm and the Roosters feel the same, don't they? They're, they're, yeah, they're, I think they're that they're the going to be in line for a good year. I think the Titans are going to have a better year. You know, I think the Titans might um, be the best of the Queensland teams. About um, I, time too, mate. I don't like the noises coming out of Broncos with uh, players moaning that Kevy trains too hard and, the, you know, having to do this, that and the other. And our old friend Payne Haas not signing contracts and... Yada, yada, yada. Get that guy somewhere else. Anyway, whatever. I've said it before. Um, well, the other thing is, I suppose, guys, a remarkable effort. Um, I, I work for an organisation that is right next door to Suncorp Stadium. Um, and my workplace on the lower levels, like many people in New South Wales and Queensland, and our thoughts go out to everyone struggling at the moment. We're not making light of this at all. Um, my workplace is completely devastated on the lower levels. We got some photos today of just the destruction once the cleanup had happened. And Suncorp would have been absolutely what it was, inundated and all the lower levels. And if they get that up and running, um, which they will for Friday night, what an unbelievable effort by the, uh, all the people to do, to, to do that as well. Um, so I just want to reiterate thoughts and prayers and everything to everyone struggling with recent floods. It feels like the, uh, the 20s have not been the decade that have delivered. Well, how's things out your way, Pete? Because that seems to be the new focus. Yep. Uh, yeah, look, thankfully, I'm somewhat at the top of a hill. So I've just got a muddy backyard and not a great deal else. But uh, unfortunately... Which were closed around um, around the area. I've had uh, some landslides, which have actually closed off highways uh, over the last couple of days. Uh, we've had bridges closed off. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely um, hitting everyone pretty hard. I know that, for instance, last night at our own training session, we ended up having to uh, uh, call things off pretty early. We had probably about half an hour left of the session because the rain was so heavy that the artificial field itself started to flood. Um, so, yeah, it's it's pretty heavy at the moment. Um, and it, it, originally we were told it was going to ease off um, about midweek, but uh, new reports are suggesting we're going to uh, keep up this heavy rain for the rest of this week. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's, you know, the effect on people's livelihoods and, and you know, sport is what we're talking about. So please don't think we're talking down to anything else. We're not a political show, um, but so many sporting grounds starting their seasons. Seasons are being delayed, and we just hope that everyone's uh, safe more than anything. Guys, Panthers take on the Sea Eagles on Thursday night. Uh, I think the Panthers will win in, in a much tighter game. I'd expect a few mistakes there. Um, so we'll just fly through these. Panthers-Eagles, guys? Panthers. Oh, yeah, I'd say Panthers. I think they've been partying pretty hard, but uh, I'm sure they'll hit the ground running. Raiders take on Sharks. At what I consider an absolutely ridiculous time to start a game for fans. Five o'clock on Friday afternoon, the Raiders take on the Sharks. I know it's six o'clock. Oh, really? I know it's, it's just, it's just feels stupid to me. It's all about TV. Raiders, Sharks. I'm actually going to tip the Sharks to cause an upset here. Oh, I love it when the Raiders get beat because then Ricky Stewart gets to give a press conference. Yeah, he's, he's pretty... We're talking about authenticity with Shane Warne. I think you're pretty. You're getting all, a pretty authentic answers off uh, Ricky Stewart. Who are you tipping there, mate? You're going to tip the Sharks as well. Uh, no, I'll take the Raiders actually. Uh, Broncos taking on the Rabbitohs in what should be a really, really good game. But um, I think the Rabbitohs are going to have a really good season, and if they get a bit of an early lead, the Broncos supporters are fantastic but they are quick at the moment to turn on their team because they've been really disappointing. I think the Rabbitohs might cause an upset and put a bit of pressure straight away on the Broncos. Oh, I'll jump across and go Broncos at home. They just extend, didn't they give, they extended Kevin Walters. It's like he's only just turned up there. Yeah. Um, and with Payne Haas there pulling all the shots at captain, I'm going to have to tip against the Broncos every week. 
<laughs> Roosters take on the night. So I think we're all going to be uh, in agreement here. Roosters at home on Saturday afternoon. What a great time to watch football. Two o'clock, which is three o'clock New South Wales time. The Roosters will take on the night. So I think the Roosters will win there. Yep, Roosters, even though it's at Sydney Cricket Ground because we still don't have Sydney Football Stadium up and running yet um, yep. at the SDG, Roosters will get up. Uh, what, football, what football teams are going to be playing out of the SFS when it's open, uh, Pete? Just the, um, is it just going to be the Cove still? I'll be, well, you'll have Sydney FC, you'll have Sydney Roosters. Right, okay, because the Waratahs are playing Leichhardt the other night. And that was awesome. That's I love that ground. Yeah, it's yeah. A oh yeah. Warriors taking on the Dragons Saturday afternoon, guys. I really, really don't know about this, so I'll go the Warriors. Uh, for the local team, it's got to be the Dragons for me. I'll take the Dragons because it's going to be in Sydney, isn't it? They yeah. aren't the Warriors based over here because New Zealand's still locked out. Is it New Zealand still in lockdown? Uh, I think they are. Don't know. <laughs> right. they're, they're coming out of lockdown in 2048. Well, probably uh, just in time to see off everything else bad going around the world. Um, the West Tigers, I reckon they're in for a rude Saturday night. I think the Storm will take them apart. And I think the Storm have not lost an opening round game in about 20 years. <laughs> Could be wrong there, but God. seriously. They, they, I don't think they've ever lost a first round game when Bellamy's been in charge. It's true. Um, so there you go, mate. Storm for me. Get the tips as well. Um, Who are they playing? The Tigers. Uh, just yeah. for Coach Chapman, I'm going to say Storm by 50. <laughs> <laughs> Eels, Eels take on the Titans. Now, I, I'm going to go Eels because um, they're at home. If we reverse the fixture and it was at um, Seabus Stadium, uh, I'd have to go the Titans. But I'll go the Eels in a much tighter game than what people may predict. Interesting. I was actually going to suggest the Titans in quite a close game. Um, so, yeah, that's probably my tip there. And even though I tipped the Titans to make the playoffs, I think that last year that what went under the radar was that the Eels exit 6-4 against Penrith in the playoffs may well have been the best game of rugby league that I've watched for about 10 years. Unbelievable. It... And so for that, I'm going to tip the Eels. I think that um, I like the way they look. And I, I didn't mention them, and I guess I forgot about them, but... Uh, I think they're going to be hard to beat this year. Yeah, same here. I, I think we're going to have one of the tightest competitions up top for, for many a year, and that's a great thing for rugby league. And the Cowboys taking on the Bulldogs, and I'm pretty sure the Cowboys are, are doing fundraising um, as part of this game and have also given away 2,000 tickets to frontline um, uh, first responders, which is a fantastic effort. So they're giving away 2,000 tickets at a stadium that's going to sell out more than it's not. Um, and raising a lot of money for flood awareness. So, well done. I think the Cowboys will get up and they wouldn't want to lose to the Bulldogs in the, in the opening round. Yeah, absolutely spot on for me is Cowboys. Uh, uh, Cowboys by, you know, at least 10 for me. Yeah, the only hope the Cows have got of getting that wooden spoon and passing it over to the Bulldogs is to actually beat them when they play in Townsville. Yeah, good call. Good so call. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with um the cows in a in a bit of a slopathon actually. Okay, guys, Dally M, um, early season predictor. I'm gonna go for Cleary. Uh, I think Cleary's just such a great playmaker in a team that's gonna win a lot of games, and I think he's gonna win it by a chin. Oh gosh. Well, I, I, uh, I think I I know yeah. I'm gonna rule out Payne Haas. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut that section out. When he wins the Dally M, mate, we will play that on replay. I'll take Luke Carey if he can get back on the field. I like Luke Carey. Good yeah, player. good player. Yeah, I, to be blunt, name that I have floating around as a potential Dally M, um, but I'll also throw out the name of Ben Hunt, uh, who looks likely to be named captain of uh, Queensland's Origin team, and looks like he's going to have uh, a big impact with his club side as well. So. Um, let's see what Ben Hunt can offer uh, as well this season. And hats off to Ben Hunt because there's a guy who's done things the right way and has copped a lot of stick over the years for different stuff. And, you know, he deserves every success. Good call. Guys, we'll have a a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a bit of EPL 
Um, we we're going to talk about A-League games being rescheduled when they already knew there was going to be an Asian playoff game and um, anything else that takes your fancy. I do want to cover the MLS as well. I want to, I've been telling you guys, or we've been talking about this for a long time, about how big it's getting, and the crowds last weekend were outstanding. So we'll have a quick break, and we'll come back and talk world games. I'm going to talk a bit of uh, Pete's, for, this is his forte here. So Pete, with his enunciation and pronunciation, um, we're going to cover a little bit of Premier League here. And uh, we started off with um, the early Saturday night game, Leicester beating Leeds United 1-0. I'm going to say I watched a lot of games this weekend, so I feel pretty confident in what I remembered from it. But I can tell you this, how Leeds lost that game, I will never understand. They absolutely dominated large portions of that game. And it's probably the reason they're down the bottom, just missing Bamford and having no finishes because they should have absolutely slaughtered Leicester. Yeah, they absolutely should have. And to be fair, there's two reasons why Leeds didn't win. Uh, the first reason is obviously Patrick Bamford being second reason is Kasper Michael in the goal at the other end. Um, for Leicester City, sensational. Um, pretty much absolutely everything nearby, he was able to um, put a hand towards. So 19 shots, four of those on target for Leeds, as opposed to Leicester, who created just four chances on goal so unfortunately this is one of those games where the classic story of the taking of chances will win you a game uh to be fair harvey barnes if it wasn't going to be him it was basically going to be jamie vardy but yeah harvey barnes ends up with an assist from Anicio, and, and that's enough for leicester to be able to claim that one nil win but look it was a very interesting moment as well at fourth time when um, when Jesse Marsh ended up pulling his lead side together. They actually had a team huddle on the field um, in front of everyone to basically just talk about how much it means to be playing at the moment, talking about the process, talking about how important this revolution at Leeds is going to be to try and get results and how important it is for the next few phases of games. And the other thing, uh, Pete, I want to correct you on one thing there. I, you, you said about uh, Schmeichel saving with his hands. He pulled off a couple of miracle saves with his legs. Well, I thought he was Yeah, that he did. Very David De Gea uh, uh, style. You know, his futsal saves were fantastic at times. Absolutely. Chelsea, Chelsea put Burnley to the sword, 4-0. Um, Burnley weren't that bad, but it's something you said a couple of weeks ago, Pete. They just don't have the ability to score. Nope, they definitely don't. Look, Burnley were good for 45 minutes and then Chelsea turned up and absolutely steamrolled it. Um, you know, Reese James proved why he is one of the best, sorry, he's one of the best 15 right backs in the moment because as we know, England's national team is full of just left back. <laughs> definitely put his name um, on the list as a contender there because he's, uh, he's making such a huge impact. Kai Havertz, for a guy who is not a traditional striker, he's ended up um, playing this kind of false nine role yep. where he's able to just produce magic. And then, you know, Mr. Captain America himself, uh, Christian Pulisic, ended up scoring at the end to, to claim that. Took a lot full time. He was obviously very impressed with the performance. Um, he was obviously happy with the fact that they were able to score the goals that they did. But, uh, if you're Sean Dyson Burnley at the moment, they didn't have a great deal to celebrate and, and be happy about in that second half. No, early on, they were good. They, they created some chances, um, and that's the story of their season, unfortunately. Aston Villa, um, it's the Coutinho show again. Another goal, another unbelievable assist, and um, a, a very comfortable win against a very informed Southampton team, 4-0. I won't go on about that too much. It was just... Yeah, it was very comfortable win. I was very, very happy with it. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic to be able to see two goals in each half for this Villa side. Um, Steven Gerrard, the last great deal to celebrate. Um, it's been, you know, that classic roller coaster to start to his managerial career at Villa. Good peak at the start, bit of a drop off. Now he's starting to bounce back, and this is a huge result against Southampton. So I believe this moves uh, Villa onto 11th in the table, um, which is, you know, this is a, a good performance for them. It means they're pretty much, you know, 
a, a safe mid-table. And um, Gerald can really start to build something special and really build around uh, Coutinho moving forward, which is exciting. Mate, oh, I, sorry, sorry, John. So the, with the Coutinho thing, I just want to say how much I enjoyed the purity of the goals that Villa scored at the weekend. Uh, yeah. Just some really brilliant, brilliant goal. The, the lead up, the touches. Coutinho was just brilliant. And uh, what's the name of your striker who scored the first goal? Uh, Watkins. How's that turn, cut back and shot? That was just absolutely brilliant. I love that. Thought it was great he, stuff. And you're in a good place. He wouldn't have scored that a couple of months ago. Having players like Coutinho there that attracts that attention. And I was really, really happy to see Danny Ings score a goal. I know it was against his old team, but that Watkins and Ings haven't worked well together this year. I don't think Ings will be at the club after this season with the players we look at signing. Uh, but I don't want to make this a Villa show, guys. Brentford, I think, have now done enough beating Norwich 3-1. They've done enough to almost keep themselves safe. And Norwich, uh, sadly, are in all sorts, as we know. Uh, good win by Brentford, I thought, away. Yeah, it's a, it's a much, definitely a much-needed three points for Brentford to make sure that they had that little bit of a breathing room between themselves, Leeds and Everton, who, you know, Leeds and Everton have pulled themselves into a relegation scrap. That They've not been, you know taken along for a ride, they've pulled themselves down into that uh, bit of a rut. But uh, look, Brentford were positive. I think obviously the uh, was the moment when Christian Eriksen was pulled down and uh, the attacker had actually taken him down onto the ground, gave him a bit of a cuddle and a bit of a hug. Yeah. Uh, and then they helped each other up. Ivan Tony scoring um, a hat trick, two penalties as well. Fantastic performance from him. I think that, um, you know, it's an interesting one. Did a replacement striker for a Danny Ings, you kind of have to think, would they not want to potentially look at an Ivan Tony? Because he's the type of guy who has, you know, the right muscle up top, the right momentum. He can hold up a ball really well. He's able to play in others. Um, he's pretty consistent. So Ivan Tony could be a guy who fills in the type of a villa. I, I, I know you say now, that, Pete. I know you say that, Pete. You should see the names of players who are putting themselves in the Villa market right now. There's oh, pretty, yeah. I've seen some good ones. Seen some good pretty, ones. And they're talking about it. Now, this next game, we're going to leave to John. John, your team against Brighton. He may be watching yeah, the replay right now. No, no, no. Don't worry. I'm listening. I'm trying to work out how to get started. I feel like the whole inside of me... Um, you know, I was very much making fun of the fan experience. And from a Newcastle United um, fan point, that's been abominable for 15 years. Yeah. And since Christmas, it's been a joy to watch. Now, that game against Brighton got out of the way two goals early. Um, you know, I still think our midfield's been playing absolutely amazing football. And now we're starting to get it right with the two attackers up front. Now, we sit, you talk about injuries, everyone, oh, my God. Bamford's not there for Leeds. Yeah, well, we've had Callum Wilson. We've had some maximum and Kieran Trippier not able to play in the last four weeks and we've won three and lost one. So, you know, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, the, the fact that we can play without those guys yep. is amazing. We've got Dan Byrne, um, the back line. I mean, even Emil Kraft looks like a good player again. Uh, well, I've never seen that. Um, Fabian Scherer is, is, is reborn, but... I have to say, you know who I'm going to talk about, don't you? <laughs> Absolute heartbeat of the Premier League. Joe Linton, now officially into my top three football Newcastle players of all time. He is just, he's just mad. I love his strength on the ball. I love his defence. I love his heart. I love his passion. And to have a guy who was so bad for so long, found another position, and he's not a one-off because... Eddie Howe somehow seems to have reinvigorated at least five of those guys who've totally bought into what he's talking about. And, you know, suddenly I don't think we need to sell a lot of guys in this, you know, in summer. I think we've got the, we've got the foundation of a really good side and mainly because that, that midfield, that midfield is really hard to beat. And I do think that eventually you're going to see Bruno come in and take um, Shelby's place and, and I think when that happens, there's a, there's a lot to like about us going forward. 
Well, the, the thing, you know, the thing that Newcastle and Brentford did over the weekend, um, it, it, you've started to really clear away now. No one's talking about relegation for Newcastle. We said it all along. If you got it right, you have enough goals in you. That's never been the problem. The next game, guys, Wolves and Crystal Palace, a game that probably not many people would, you know, watch if they weren't Wolves or Palace fans. But, geez, a certain Frenchman's doing very, very good stuff at Crystal Palace. They're an extremely solid team. And I think they have a pretty good future ahead of them as well, which must be exciting for their fans. 100%. What Patrick Vieira is doing at the moment is absolutely sensational at, uh, at Palace. And, uh, we only have to really look at, for me, there's a, a few players who are obviously standing out. You've got Wilfred Zaha, who we've known for a while as being one of them. But also we look at Jeffrey Schlopp, who yep. as a central midfielder is just absolutely pulling the strings. Action, And he's so enjoyable to watch. But for me, the guy who's actually claiming all the attention is actually Elisa, who he's magical with the ball that he Yep, yep. He's freedom and expression uh, when in 1v1 situations is such a joy and a breath of fresh air. And it's funny watching this Palace side who, to be fair, if we said at the start of the season, Wolves against Palace, Palace win, you'd probably laugh and go, there's no way that this Wolves side with the quality that they have, the, the determination that they have, are going to get done by a Palace side who have been underperforming. Mate, what what is going on over there, Patrick Vieira? He he's definitely creating some magic. Pete, is it true that the younger players at um, Palace are calling Patrick Vieira um, Joe Linton Senior? Mate, I've I've heard he's uh, been listed as uh, the inspiration that created. Um, so yeah, yeah we're I'm sending not sure, him. A- uh, Sending him a signed jersey. Oh, God. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Pete, your, your, <laughs> team, your team did what champion teams do. They got the 1-0 against West Ham, and West Ham put up a very, very good performance in a largely struggling game for Liverpool, and they take away the three points. Yeah, like, to be fair, this is what Liverpool needed to do. They just needed to turn up, get the job done, and then get out of the game, and, and that's exactly I think that West Ham would be incredibly disappointed that they didn't walk away with at least a point out of this game. Uh, they had a number of opportunities. Thomas Suchek probably should have found the back of the net. Lazzini should have um, found the back of the net. Uh, there were even opportunities for, you know, Kurt Zuma off set pieces to be able to find the back of the net. Wait, but c- Come back. Uh, Lanzini should have found the back of the net. How did he not find the back of the net? Yeah. Really good question because, again... This is where West Ham should feel disappointed that they weren't able to score. Is Suchek one of the most out-of-form players in Europe? I, every time I've seen him recently, he just hasn't impressed me at all. He's, not, he, he's a guy who gets himself into good positions but then makes weird choices. Yeah, yeah, mm. 100%. Um, but look, nevertheless, um, it, they dropped those points there in Liverpool. You, you'd say it's over, but they're still staying right in the hunt there. Arsenal beat Watford 3-2. Watford scoring their second goal quite late on. Arsenal playing some sublime football. And, you know, they would have lost this game last year, last season. Absolutely. Um, and the thing is, like, it's funny. When manager their most recent time and Roy Hodgson came on board, he was actually the the logical choice to take over at Watford because that team needs structure. They need some discipline and they need to just basically be told, this is what you need to do and don't ask so many questions of why does this happen? How does this happen? And what should happen next? Just make sure this happens in a system. Exactly what Roy Hodgson is able to achieve with his Watford team. Now, they've pulled off some really good results of late. I think most recently their um, their nil-nil draw where they pulled off a, a bit of a shock result. We think about this game here where uh, Musa Sissoko scored late on. Um, we had Hernandez scored early on for Watford. Loads of positives. But instead for Arsenal, this is a Mikel Arteta's 
really starting to develop into something special. Um, we've seen Martin o- Odengard score early, uh, Bikeo Saka, and then Gabby Ma- uh, Martinelli. Just one absolute joy to watch it is to see Martinelli playing his football at the moment. And it's funny, isn't it? Because last season, you know, and we're talking Arsenal supporters as well, we're calling for the head of Mikel Arteta. And it's an interesting choice on when you do or don't pull the trigger, isn't it? Uh, for lack of better Absolutely. words, being Arsenal. Because he's, yeah, you can see the style that's coming in. And I enjoy watching him. I'm really enjoying watching him. And once again, they develop youth brilliantly. So good win for Arsenal. And they look, they're in the absolute prime spot now to take the uh, the fourth Champions League place. Yeah, that that's, that, they're in a good spot at the moment. They've still got a game in hand against uh, their closest rivals in Manchester United as it stands. So there's an opportunity for Arsenal to really claim that fourth spot. Um, the pressure will be coming from the likes of Spurs, uh, as well as potentially a West Ham, but that's about as far as it goes. Um, Manchester United, you, you you never know what you're going to get with the United team and whether or not they're actually going to be a Champions League contender or not. So in the last three games of the round, guys, there was five goals in each game. So Watford, uh, Arsenal, Arsenal winning 3-2. The next game, Manchester City, I mean, I know you can say 4-1 demolished United, but they actually really did demolish United. They, they absolutely thrashed them. It wasn't just the scoreline. It was all over the place. It was. Absolutely. It was, uh, it was an absolute goal fest and it was an absolute dominant performance from arguably the best team in the Premier League over recent time. And, and this is exactly what um, we kind of expected from a, uh, a City side who's full of confidence. Um, Kevin De Bruyne getting himself a brace and then Riyad Mahrez brace as well. Uh, the only positive for Manchester United was Jadon Sancho's goal. And apart from yep. that, there was pretty much not else. Could, Just nothing to celebrate. I know we don't... We definitely go by the eye rule as us as a podcast. We always trust our eyes for over stats many times. We don't always talk stats. But I need to talk stats in this game to really highlight the 4-1 is just one element. Manchester City, 24 shots to five, 10 shots on target to two, 70% possession. Now, this is the one that really gets me. 754 passes at 92% accuracy to 331 passes uh, of United. I don't remember seeing many more dominant games than I saw in this derby. And those stats had to be read based is on this, Is the new manager doing any better than what Solskjaer was doing? No. If, if anything, he's... I mean, I haven't got the points in front of me, but if anything, he's, he's doing just the same, if not worse. How many times do Man United players get to tap out on a manager? Well, I mean, a lot of people talked about Maguire this, this week and bagged him from being an $80 million signing. But it's not the players' fault that they get signed for too much money, is it? It's, it's, it's the people who pay the ridiculous amounts. Um, his defending was woeful again. I mean, it was almost comical, but it's not his fault he's an $80 million signing. Yeah, he's a bit of a scapegoat too. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean There's a lot of poor play, play for Manchester United over a long period of time. They've got a, you know, if you're a Man United fan in the last couple of years. You, you haven't really seen them, you know, I don't think they'd ever really played for anyone. There always oh. seems to be, oh, this manager's not, not, not what we want. He's not good enough. And that doesn't matter how high profile he's been. Looks like uh, looks like my team might be picking up a couple of United's young, talented 22 to 23-year-olds. So we'll see what happens at the end of the year. But um... well, that's no guarantee of anything at the moment because you could have picked up uh, look, Donny van der Beek from Man U. Yeah, no, thank you. Never wanted him. Um, and in the next game, my goodness, Tottenham. I, and I've watched this game as well. Tottenham absolutely trounced Everton. And I reckon after 60 minutes, and Pete, I'm not sure, or John, if you watched this game. Yeah, I did. Tottenham, Tottenham literally turned off at 60 minutes and didn't play any more footy. They just passed the ball around. They, they were running at like 30%. I'll let Pete wrap it up the whole the whole week and all that. But I say this. I reckon that was the easiest win I've seen in the Premier League for a long, long time. You agree? They took their foot completely off the accelerator for about half an hour at the end? I went to school. 
<laughs> I was like, you know, like I had enough. I was, what's the point of sitting down? What's was so easy. I tapped out at four zip. But just before Pete talks about this one, Tottenham won four of their first six games. I'm sure. I mean, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. So they won four of their first six, which means they were on 12 points after six games. They are on 25. Uh, sorry, they are on 22 points after that. So they have, they've got 10 points in 19 games. I reckon they could have legit scored 10 goals this morning. Oh, they, yeah. And, and you want to talk about some sublime football. That The goals that were scored were sublime. Uh, Pete, you can have the final word on that, mate. I was just going to uh, add to the fact that Tottenham had the opportunity and probably should have taken the opportunity to truly embarrass Everton in this game because this really shows just how poor this Everton team actually is, how many uh, errors that there are in this squad, how big of a job that Frank Lampard at this club for the rest of the season. And, how many people that they're really carrying through. Now, Donny van der Beek, fantastic footballer, no doubt about it, but he just does not fit into this Everton lineup or crew at the moment. Michael Keane, defensively, is making far too many errors, and he's been on the uh, receiving end of a few own goals. And that was a brilliant finish. Absolutely fantastic. Jordan Pickford for me is questionable Terrible. as a number one for England. Uh, I think Nick Pope is probably uh, going to be taking that favoured spot as number one. Or for me, Ben Foster um, for Watford has been sensational of late. At least he can distribute a ball quite well. Uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, um, if you know anything depended upon it, Deli Alley um, was uninspired when he came onto the field. Uh, Salomon Rondon, it's laughable that he's still at this Everton crew because he's just a bad smell that you can't get rid of, unfortunately. Um, it, it's just embarrassing, this Everton lineup. And, and the fact that they're in a relegation scrap, at no point can anyone say, oh, they're too good to be in a relegation scrap. Or how poor they've been this season. Now, I couldn't imagine how hand, anyone, I could imagine how anyone could be confident if it was a one-on-one, because there's only one point difference now, isn't there, between Burnley and Everton, and having watched both of them close to the last couple of weeks because of our position on the ladder, oh, I'd have to take Burnley, and that I reckon they'll punch them out. Everton has 100%. got the game in hand, um, whether that means anything at the moment. Guys, we've been going a fair while. I'm going to skip over to the Champions League because we've got some games coming up um, tomorrow. We've got Bayern and um, Red Bull Salzburg. The aggregate's one all at the moment, so really interesting tie there. You would think that Bayern should wrap it up at home, but it's no given. Well, Bayern at home, you generically go, yep, cool, Bayern's got this wrapped up, especially the players that they've got, the quality that they have. There's no doubting that uh, they are the type of club who should be in a Champions League final. But the thing is, RB Salzburg uh, are full of magical youngsters who are willing to show off what they're capable of on the world's best stage. And to be honest, uh, the performance that they put on in that 1-1 draw um, in front of their home crowd in Austria was just absolutely fantastic. So to be honest, I wouldn't be too surprised if Augsburg ended up walking away this game. It would be a shock, but I also wouldn't be too surprised with it. So did um did Jody Marsh um was he um did he coach or was he the manager of Salzburg at one stage? Yes, yeah, so he's I... been part of that um Abi uh, that Red Bull kind of family for quite some time. He's worked with Red Bull New York, Abi Salzburg, and he's also been part of Abi Leipzig over in uh, Germany. So yeah. he's been part of that Red Bull family. Well, the second game tomorrow should um. Liverpool take on Inter. Liverpool have a uh, the 2-0 aggregate going home back to Anfield. They should get to the um, the quarterfinals, you'd expect. Yeah, they should. Um, Liverpool's got uh, full of confidence at the moment. They've got uh, an informed Diego Jota, uh, a Luiz, who's just a, an absolute breath of fresh air in the attacking third. Uh, Mohamed Salah is kind of desperate to be able to find his name on the, that score sheet as well. But for me, I think that uh, the 
its impact on this game is actually going to be central defender Ibrahim Kanate for Liverpool. I think that he's had uh, such a impact on this Liverpool defensive lineup and really um, strengthens things alongside uh, Virgil van Dijk. Absolutely. Thursday's games, we'll do a quick wrap of the first one. Man City are 5-0 up, going home. Uh, that game's over against Sporting. Um, might as well not play it. Yeah, well, City's already won it. So, um, yeah, City just need to put out their under-14s team and they will walk away very happy with the result there. So, yeah. And it's City. still a big, a big game on the line on Thursday. Real Madrid trailing PSG 1-0. Um, that's all, I mean, stupid commentary here, but that, that is all to play for because that tie could still go either way. It can. It's a, an interesting time for the likes of Paris Saint-Germain because it doesn't matter what Mauricio Pochettino will do. He's going to leave uh, Paris Saint-Germain at the end of this season. So he could go on and win the Champions League. He can win uh, the Ligue 1. Uh, he can go on and basically win it, anything and everything. But Paris Saint-Germain will be looking to replace him at the end of this season. It looks likely that Zidane Zidane will come in and take it at PSG. So I wouldn't be too surprised if we do end up seeing Zidane in the grandstand for this game. Uh, but the other name that's being mentioned as a uh, potential candidate would be uh, Carlo Ancelotti, who uh, okay. is... Uh, and he's obviously over at Real Madrid. He's uh, enjoying his football there. And he could be the type of guy who just tries to get the big characters and gets them being as consistent as they should be. Mate, I'll just jump. I'm not going to really go into the A-League at the moment because there's been so many things rescheduled. But what the hell's going on with Melbourne Victory's home game a few days to go before their home game? They already knew they were going to be playing a Champions League qualifier, and all of a sudden they're now saying, "Oh, we better postpone the uh, the man Melbourne's uh, sorry Melbourne Victory home game on the weekend." What kind of planning or lack of planning is that crap? <laughs> uh, I don't think someone had their calendars synced up at that time. Uh, you, you know how it is. You you get your email that says your passwords expired, but you don't really pay attention to it away and then you try and sync up your calendar again and a whole lot of things that pop up um hopefully uh that wasn't the case but uh i wouldn't be too surprised if it was something along those lines but yeah it's uh, it's a bit embarrassing when you start to see games pop up on the calendar and then getting told oh actually no we'll reschedule things um it's likewise when games are scheduled on and you have to postpone them because of the fact that fields are not in good enough condition, that, uh, you know, games aren't because the game got moved at, a, uh, you know, at the last minute. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of a bit in all sorts at the moment. It's quite embarrassing. Well, for the first time in a long time, boys, um, I've got a Saturday afternoon free. The Brisbane Roar is playing. And I, for the first time in a long time, I'm not even sure if I want to go. And it's uh, 20 minutes away from me. And you know what, how I follow the competition. If I don't want to go to a game and I'm a member, what does that say? About me? Everything? <laughs> yeah, it, it says a lot. And the thing is, like, Brisbane Raw, they're obviously playing against Wellington Phoenix, Morton Daly Stadium. Uh, you kind of have are more likely to get the results in this game. Phoenix crew, but that said, I, I think, uh, yeah, I can understand the lack of enthusiasm to this lineup as it stands because the thing is, Brisbane Roars, bottom of the table, they've had what three wins so far this season. Offensively, they don't look great, defensively, they look woeful at times. Uh, they're just so inconsistent, but. Wellington Phoenix, on the other hand, Ufik Talley's got a good thing going on there. They're, they're the type of a side who can try and push into the top six. Yeah, I can understand uh, the hesitation between Mate, not wanting to go. I, I don't miss my teams. I've just had enough of this A-League season. I just want it over, to be honest. I've had you no know, Through no fault of anyone's, there's been games rescheduled. There's been a whole heap of things. People I would normally go with can't be bothered. So I'll go to another A-League game, hand solo. I will sit in a car park for 40 minutes afterwards. 
and actually um, no no I've got the I've got the answer that's going to uh, that's going to want if you go to the okay. game live you don't yep. have to with Paramount Plus oh god I'm going <laughs> okay boys boys I'm, I'm going um the problem Pack the car. I'll join you up there. I will drive up now and I'll meet you at the game if I have to. You don't have to deal with Paramount Plus. You, you don't have to deal with drink so, breaks. Don't, you want to sample that Redcliffe Stadium while you're there? You can buy a new Dolphin jersey. Well, I, will, I will say this. Um, for the people who run the stadium, and it's called um, Morton Bay Stadium on game day for Brisbane Raw, um, the people actually running the canteens, the people running all of that, the coffee people, are absolutely brilliant. So I'm just going to go there and support them then, okay? I'm going to go get a coffee. They've got a great donut place. What sort of pies are they running, um, Paul? Sorry, buddy? What sort of pies have they got? Do you get sauce or you got to pay for it? No, no. This is um, And all the prices, and I said it to the staff working there and they had a laugh. I said, well, these prices completely change when the Redcliffe Dolphins are in the uh, NRL next year because it is the most reasonably priced stadium I've been to in years. Like, you can actually go there and, and, and eat. <laughs> anyway, one more thing, guys. We've been going almost an hour. We've been talking about it for a long time, and um, anyone who listens to the pod or knows myself and, and Pete and so forth, um, we talk a lot about the MLS. And if you want to see a competition that's doing everything right, I believe they had a record crowd over the weekend, and then it was beaten only a day or two later. 78,000 people rocked up to a game. Not an MLS team playing Man United, not an MLS team playing Barcelona. It was an MLS season proper game, and I believe they got 78,000 there. They do have great stadiums available yeah. too. That they do. They absolutely was- do. I was actually going to say uh, Charlotte FC, they, they broke yes. the MLS attendance record with that crowd of 74,479 people for their first ever home game against LA Galaxy on Saturday. Now, the previous record was 73,000. That was set by Atlanta United. Um, And it's incredible. How how exciting is – look, how refreshing is it to have a – when new teams get added on a regular basis – an active love and support for fans wanting to be active supporters that there's reasonably priced tickets that when you look at the apparel that you can purchase, you can either buy a replica jersey or you can pay the big money and buy the authentic player issue jerseys, that there's price ranges that match everyone's needs and wants, that there's clear identities for a competition. Oh, it's refreshing. And oh, having been, I've been to a few MLS games um, and seen it from its kind of embryonic stage to where it is now. And why shouldn't a competition aspire? It is now part of the sporting culture and landscape, and their expansion teams are wanted. Like if you said Charlotte, you wouldn't, you know, you've got the Charlotte Hornets and so forth, but you wouldn't say Charlotte is the most well known city. In no, America. but the Carolinas are, big, are the Carolinas are a big state in America. The two, you know that oh, that yeah. area. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, like for the rest of the world, you wouldn't even consider oh Charlotte, you know. And they got seventy eight thousand, and they uh they have sustainable expansion. They have promotion and relegation and, and things like that. And I know that you can talk about populations. And America they have pro have rail. They, they, they don't oh, have promotion yet. relegation. Not, not yet. No, it, the, right. it will come in at some point, but there is the promotion whereby teams are born and are developed in the uh, the USL competition, which is a three-tiered competition there. So, you know, there's the opportunities for teams in that developing league to really grow their supporter base, grow as a club. And once they meet that, can then apply to join the MLS. So there's actually a pathway opportunity rather than being thrown in the deep end. And that is just magic. And look, uh, I'm sorry to, to bring in Villa again, but this is how, you know, Villa said they're going to put in, a, you know, two to 300 million to have their uh, Las Vegas villains. And the MLS is so well run at the moment that they are saying, even with massive fees and everything, we want to know what your sustainability is. We want to know exactly where you're playing. And I just think they're, 
for a new competition, relatively new competition in the world stage, they're doing absolutely everything right. Um, there are plenty of players across in Europe who are suggesting when I am at a certain stage in my career, I want to go play in America and be part of that lifestyle, that they do understand that there's good money to earn in that competition as well, that there's, you know, the opportunity to really grow a team base, a supporter base, to really grow an identity. The fact that so many European clubs are actually looking over at the MLS programs and saying a 14, a 16-year-old who's played, you know, X amount of minutes, has played, uh, you know, has come on as a substitute during this, some of these games, and they've actually jumped across and, you know, are, are making a good stab over in Europe and actually having a good kind of foundational career. Unfortunately, I, I, I have to look over um, with green envy because I can't competition have that same, you know, why do we get the retirees? rather than people who want to try and make an impact still. I think you said it all. They can make decent money playing in the US. They can still have a bit of a profile, and they can't do that in the A-League. Guys, um, John, did you want to talk about anything further there, mate? Is there anything you wanted to talk about tonight on the pod that we've missed? Oh, I did just want to bring up in, the, in, in my closing comments, I was looking at the Palm Beach Corumban State High School team of the last two decades, and one of those... Uh, sort of comments that always gets made is the Gold Coast, you know, who, who put professional sports teams there? Well, the Gold Coast is an incredible nursery for a bunch of sports, and one of them is football. Yep. And I sent you guys a copy of that on Twitter to have a look at their team. Amazing mix, uh, male and female, of the highest level, Australian and New Zealand internationals, playing across from, you know, uh, Mackenzie Arnold all the way to Mitch Nichols and Shane Smeltz. I just wanted to draw attention, though, to a girl right at the bottom of that list on the bench, uh, a, a lady called Ellie Papalexio. Uh, and you can see she made that team, so it was a pretty hot field. Um, NCAA scholarship, and she sits next to me in the humanities department at Miami State High, and tomorrow she's coaching her first game of Rugby Sevens. Oh. And the girls are really excited to have her there because she has been a very high-quality sports girl person. And... Um, she made that team as a credit to her. She was a bit, a bit embarrassed. I uh, said, boy, be embarrassed to be amongst that company. You deserve it. So I think it's a great team. If you can find it on, we might share it and put it out there and put some other stuff from schools like that because I think that is great when schools develop their players and they maintain that relationship with them. I think that's a fantastic call. And I'm sure Pete's got examples from down in New South Wales that he can provide as well. And Palm Beach Corumban has a really good mix of academia and they have a dedicated um, sports program, same as Miami High and a lot of other high schools. They have a um, high-performance surfing program there too, I believe. That's yeah, we, we, we have duked it out with them on the um, surfing scene for a while, as you'd expect, being right next to the beach. Exactly right. And, and people don't realise that that's a magnificent pathway as well. And, and currently pretty sure ranked the number one um, rugby league, um, schoolboy rugby league team in Queensland as well. Yep, absolutely spot on. Pete, what about yourself, mate? The thing for me is um, it was only today that the Wellington Phoenix A-League women's side arrived back in Wellington. So they've made it back home safely and soundly, which is magical. And I just want to say a huge congratulations to Gemma Lewis and to Natalie Lawrence, the uh, the coaching staff, as well as a number of the uh, technical staff who assisted there because uh, not only did this season, but uh, look, their side was something that was really enjoyable to watch at times. So thank you very much for bringing across and staying here in New South Wales. It's incredibly tough. We saw players get homesick. We saw players um, really struggle at times, but look, there was no one better and no one that, you know, I personally wanted to see these players really interact with than the likes of Gemma Lewis and Natalie Lawrence. So thank you very much, Wellington Phoenix, for staying here. Hopefully all the players have a great off-season. They go play um, in their local NPL-type competitions and, um, and fingers crossed, um, things progress nice. 
spot on, mate. I want to say a special th- uh, shout out to my old man and and to all those people who contribute questions and answers on our on our different forums. Uh, my old man stepped up and and did one of my favourite podcasts the other day, and hopefully we can get him on as a regular with us because he's um his level of knowledge in some sports I I, I I don't even know if I'll get in a lifetime. So I want to say a special uh, thank you to my old man, Gary, um, for stepping in and talking about Warney and Marsh and uh, in very difficult times because I know what cricket means to him. Um, he was a cricket man in summer and, in, uh, you know, VFL, AFL, VFA man uh, in winter. So uh, thanks to the old man. Guys, been, hey, another, hey. been another awesome podcast. Um, you can get us on Twitter. Uh, Facebook, you can get on our Facebook groups as well. We'd love to get some uh, ratings. I know we're getting a lot of listeners, but if you could, you know, maybe chuck down a like or a comment on um, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Love Sport Podcast. I was Paul, your host, with my co-host John and Pete. Get me at Paul underscore football on Twitter, John at Lambic Peach, and Pete at Pete Novikowski, spelt with a W. You can also get us on Facebook at the Love Sport Podcast. Join our group and have a chat as well at the Love Sport Podcast, or get us on Twitter at the Love Sport Podcast. Get us on Apple, Spotify. Google Play, whatever you want, you can uh, hear us there as well. Also on Anchor, which is the platform we record on. This is, was, and always will be the Love Sport Podcast.